0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Jason Rosenbaum. And... Joe Manis. And our guest this week, who has been in the news...
1: Is Megan Green.
0: Yes, the Alderwoman-elect for the 15th Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, in in she, the city of St. Louis. She gets sworn in next week. Yes. she She competed in a four-way race with... You were one of the two independents in this race. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the race and how an independent candidate won. But before that, why don't we have you tell us a little bit about yourself. It's my understanding that you moved to St. Louis as part of the Coro Fellowship. Right. I did. How long ago was that and what was sort of your your assignment within the Coro fellowship?
1: It was almost 10 years ago now that I moved here right after college to do the Coro Fellows program. I was a political science major in college at Penn State and I think a lot of people say, well, what are you going to do with political science? And I thought, well, you know, let's do the Coro Fellows program for a year, get a better handle on public affairs and then I'll probably go out to California to law school. And I got here, and that program really changed my life.
2: Now, what is the Coros Fellowship?
1: So it's a nine-month postgraduate program in public affairs, and you spend six-week placements in every sector of society doing consulting-type work. Mm -hmm. So you don't know where you're going to be placed until the night before, and you don't know what your project is until you show up. And most of the time, the projects they give you are something that they would hire a consultant to do in three to six months, and you have six weeks. And so I had the opportunity to work at City Academy, a school in North City, um, Department of uh, Homeless Services in the county. I was with uh, Great Rivers Greenway in the city, Plumbers and Pipe Fitters, Local 562. Uh, (laughs) Fleishman-Hiller. The pipe Uh, fitters are a major political power in this region. Yes. And uh, Claire McCaskill's campaign. And then for your final project, you have to find somebody willing to hire you for six weeks to complete a project. So I worked with Arthur Lieber at Civitas to do that.
2: Isn't he running for Congress right now?
1: He is running for Congress right now. Against
2: Ann Wagner. It's an Democrat. uphill battle, I will say, because it's a very Republican district, but should point that out.
1: But if you look at the primary results, you'll see that there were almost an identical number of Democrats and Republicans who pulled ballots in um, in August. So I think that we can't quite underestimate Arthur at this point in yes, time. Yes, because
2: it's a, it a more Democratic district than when Todd Akin represented
0: it. Yeah, correct. So, so, so you did the Coro Fellow. Right. 10 years ago. What, what did you do after that?
1: After that, I joined Teach for America and I taught in St. Louis Public Schools. And I think, you know, after um, Coro, you have this idea that you can go out and change the world. And you get in uh, and you realize that there are a lot of systems changes that need to take place that are beyond what you can influence as a classroom teacher. And for me, that really changed a lot of my direction in life. I decided not to go to law school and instead got my master's in educational leadership and am in progress with my PhD in education leadership at SLU with a policy focus. I, you know, I never said I want to be a principal or a superintendent. I want to look at policy level changes and how, um, and how political systems can impact our education systems.
3: So, then, what have you? I mean, so you've been here 10 years, which mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of came, decided to stay. Yes. What prompted all that to stay?
1: I fell in love with the city almost the instant that I moved here. I moved into Tower Grove South, and at the time I moved in, we were just starting to really experience some revitalization. The, you know, every couple of houses on the street I was on were still boarded up, and seeing those changes in even such a short amount of time just put this light bulb off in my head that said there are some really awesome things that are happening here and I want to be a part of it. And the second piece of that was through Koro, you learn so much about how Um, St. Louis works and doesn't work and how different sectors work together and are supposed to work together and don't always work together. And in the process, you build a lot of relationships with um, people both in the city and in the county and in every sector. And I thought I could go somewhere else and it would take me 10 years to build the relationships that I have here. And so to me, it was a really easy decision to stay.
2: So let's kind of fast forward to, I guess, a few months ago, and, and unfortunately, for our listeners, we have to uh, talk about the infamous recorder of deeds it's race. Not
3: unfortunately. We're talking about some kind of a running meme
2: here. on this show. Um, okay. So, as our listeners know, Sharon Carpenter resigned due to nepotism charges, and the mayor appointed Jennifer Florida, who had been the alderwoman for the 15th ward, to be recorder of deeds. And she had just won reelection in 2013 and though she was thinking about running for something else that vacated the seat. When it, what ended up happening was that I believe that you sought the nomination for the Democratic nomination. Correct. I believe I, – I would – I'm not sure exactly, but I think Rhonda Smythe may have sought it. And she may mm-hmm. not have. And who ended up getting it was Missy McDaniel, the committee woman of the uh, 15th Ward, because – what happens in a lot of these vacancy situations is if one of the committee people wants to run for the seat and they have the support of the opposite committee person in that ward, they typically get the nomination. That's what happened in the 13th ward with Beth Murphy, and that's what has happened before, I guess, in the 5th ward when Tamika Hubbard ran because a few years Because
3: the ago. party leaders in that ward choose the nominee.
2: Right. So – she gets the not Democratic nomination, and on its face, that seems like she has a big advantage. But what ended up happening was it was a four-way race where you ran as an independent, Rhonda Smythe of TrailNet ran as an independent, and there was also a Republican candidate. So that was a lengthy exposition of what happened. Tell me a little bit about this this race that you just and ran. And
3: why you decided to do it. Right.
1: Well, um, like you said, I actively pursued the Democratic nomination. And I was I've been the vice president of the 15th War Democrats for the past year. And I had as soon as this opening came up, I had quite a few people both within that organization and within our community and some down at City Hall who approached me and said, you you know, you really should throw your hat in the ring for this. And so I spent the time putting together a platform statement, what it was that really mattered to me. I brought that to um, our ward organization, and I was the only candidate to do that. And we didn't even know that Missy was interested in running or putting her name out there until four days before um, it was to be Uh, I guess, ratified by the Central Committee.
2: Right, because she had basically announced she was going to run for state representative for Mike Colonna seat when he was termed out. She's a former aide in Jefferson City, and um, that had been what I think her plan was before Jennifer Florida left. Uh, Obviously, things changed, and she got the nomination. But as it turned out, that didn't really seem to be that much of a factor because, spoiler alert, I mean, since you're the alderwoman elect, you ended up winning the race, and the other independent candidate, Rhonda Smythe, got second place. She finished a pretty distant third, and then the Republican candidate happened. Yes, you 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 covered the race. I hope I'm explaining this right. What do you think made the?
3: I mean, okay, so what do you think made the difference, particularly since you were running against somebody who was, in McDaniel's case, established, and then of course there was this other independent. Which I mean, some say this is classic in St. Louis politics, where if there's a rival of the uh, whoever the uh, heir apparent supposed to be, all of a sudden there's two rivals. So, uh, so you want to talk about that? I, and did you know the trail that
1: person? And I did not know Rhonda uh, before she announced. Actually, um, you know, I I knew going into this if I didn't get the Democratic nomination, I would be Um, If I felt like it was a fair and transparent process to determine that um, the Democratic nominee and if I felt like our very active ward organization had input in that decision-making process, then I would have stepped aside and not ran as an independent. But because it wasn't a clear and transparent process, I felt like um, it was – I, I had a duty almost to the people of the 15th Ward to say, no, we can't just, you know, rubber stamp somebody um, into a position. We really need to have an informed dialogue and an election around this. And so for me, that was the reason um, I stepped in. And, you know, as soon as it was um, the Central Committee ratified that Missy would be the nomination the nominee that Monday I filed my paperwork as an independent and then it was a couple weeks later when uh Rhonda jumped into the race and um she was a formidable candidate as well. Um, you know, I really enjoyed campaigning against her, and uh, and I hope that in the future she and I can work together because there are some things that she talked about in her platform statement and throughout her campaign that I think would be great additions to the 15th ward.
0: So now, at least officially, you will be one of the two independents on the board of Aldermen. Uh, the other being Scott Ogilvie. What do you think the takeaway should be from this election that an independent candidate won pretty overwhelmingly? Um, You received 46 percent of the vote, and then the second place was about 38 percent of the vote, and that was also an independent candidate. So what do you think that says about running as an independent in St. Louis?
1: I think what it says is we can't be afraid to challenge systems that we feel like do not represent us. And that was the whole reason for me running as I felt like the process of determining the democratic nominee in a special election like this was really not a very democratic process. And I think it's important that we bring light to systems that operate in that manner. And so I hope that's what the takeaway is. I think regardless of whether I ran as a a Democrat and there had been a primary um, or if I, you know, running as an independent in this case, the, the real takeaway is I don't think anybody should be um, entitled to a position that there, sh- there shouldn't just be a, a rubber stamp on who receives a nomination. Elections matter and we have to make sure that they're contested and we have a good informed dialogue um, to really bring out the candidate that's going to represent um, whatever constituent base the best.
0: So you won't have much time to rest from campaigning because you will be running again yeah. this in is April. Just, this is just a
2: wacky charter rule, I have to say, because mm-hmm. under normal circumstance, you, you would be serving until 2017. But the charter says until the term is up or the next general election, which means you have to run, I guess, in March. Correct. So continue your question.
0: Yeah. So what what is your plan for that election? Are you going to run as an independent again? Or are you going to – go for the Democratic nomination. What's your plan?
1: I am going for the Democratic nomination. I made it clear that as Soon as I won, I would be returning back to my Democratic roots, I guess you could say, and you know, working within the party to implement some of the systems changes that I think need to take place. Um, I've already submitted my uh, new committee paperwork changing my affiliation to Democrats, so I will be running in the Democratic primary in March.
2: So one of the things I think this has brought up as a discussion point is is whether St. Louis City should have partisan elections at all. And I'm assuming, Joe, that this has been a discussion for a while.
3: Actually not. I mean, because as until the last few years, you had to run as a Democrat. In fact, there was a lot of Republicans who contended that Mayor Slay, who's now in his fourth term, when he first was looking at running for mayor, they were claiming that if it wasn't for the fact that um, in Saint, city of St. Louis, she needed to be a Democrat, they contended that he would actually fit more with the Republican Party. Now, I mean, we're talking 12, 13 years right. ago. But my, the, but my point being that there was no question. If you weren't running as a Democrat, you couldn't win.
2: So so here's my question. Now as, that's changed. As, as a city of St. Louis resident, I see like alder people and even, even, you know, county offices like recorder of deeds or license collector, they're very much service-oriented office. When you go into the board of aldermen, you're going to be putting forth bills to you know, redevelop houses or fix roads or do things which aren't overtly partisan. And I think a lot of people are wondering, like, should we even have Democrat or Republican primaries? Should we just let everybody run in one election, sort of like Kansas City or many other cities, and allow people who may be Republicans, part of the Green Party, to not have to identify themselves and maybe have a better chance? Now, I've also heard arguments that the party system kind of allows people to know where people are coming from, obviously I'd be interested to get your perspective on whether your win should prompt a reexamination of how city officials are elected
1: i mean i I think it's definitely worth a discussion um, I'm not sure that we you know do away with the party system, but I think that um having that primary system is very important. And, you know, the kind of anomaly in my election is that there wasn't a primary. So there wasn't an opportunity for all the Democrats to run against each other and all the Republicans to run against each other or all the Green Party members to run against each other. And because that primary um, allows for most of the discussion that took place in um, my special election to happen during that primary um, So I'm not sure that we really need to talk about eliminating those parties, but it does make sense to, I think, have the discussion.
3: Well, I I think the fact that Jennifer Florida, your predecessor, who is the current recorder of deeds, is running as an independent in November because Sharon Carpenter, the previous incumbent, still won the Democratic primary because Florida couldn't be added to the ballot because of all the stuff going on. The fact that potentially, if she wins, you could have a citywide... office holder who's an independent, I think it does bring up some of Jason's points. Uh, Is this something that um, in the city might spread? You know, in other words, other people who might be saying, hey, I could run for that office. I could do better than so-and-so. I don't care if they're an entrenched Democrat. Uh, I mean, because as I said, even a few years ago, it it would be a joke.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. I mean, it's not a joke anymore. Yeah,
1: right. And what I would say is, you know, my, my end-all, be-all result, I want to see good candidates elected. And if that means that we, um, we do nonpartisan elections, great. If that means we keep the party system, great. What I want to see is high-quality people that feel like they can go into public service, that they can run for office, and that they can win. And we need to support that, whether that's through the party system or not.
2: So let's kind of let's kind of move past the election when you're inaugurated next week, and even though you are gonna have a short time before you're elected or have to run for election again, what do you want to accomplish in the board of aldermen and like what do you see as your big issues for you and your ward?
1: I think that the biggest challenge that our ward faces is the retention of our families. We have seen tremendous changes in our demographics over the last 10 years. A tremendous number of young families that have moved in who have kids, and those kids are approaching school age. And our number one issue is going to be retaining those families in the city. And so that means looking at how educationally we can support those families, how we can make sure that... Um, we do not once again cut $300,000 from St. Louis Public Schools budget for after school programming that we um, are engaging families in our ward and in informed discussions about what amenities they need to see in order to feel like they can stay. And some of that is also looking at crime um, in the last couple of months. We have had. Um, more incidents of armed robberies than normal and it's scaring a lot of people in our ward and so we have to look at the root causes of that we need to look at how um, we not only increase Uh, police presence through hotspot policing and the like, but also make sure that we're looking at the root causes in terms of job creation and um, poverty prevention and after-school programming and all of those social service programs that go um, kind of playing the long game to prevent crime.
0: What are the things that the Board of Aldermen can do pertaining to education? Because they don't have, you know, direct control. Over St. Louis public schools. They don't
3: actually, they don't, they don't, technically, they don't
0: have any voice
3: in it at
1: all. Correct. We don't, um, but we still have a bully pulpit, and I think that that's important. Um, I think what we've seen over the last probably six or seven years is the mayor has been um, becoming more involved in the school system, and I think that. if we're going to have an executive branch of government that is getting more involved in the school system, then I think it's important to have um, a legislative branch that um, can, you know, vet and counteract any um, any kind of uh, momentum that is coming or any kind of uh, agenda that is coming outside of the mayor's office and. So I think having those discussions, what I said earlier, after school programming, we fund, um, the board uh, does provide funding to a lot of different social service agencies that go to support the, um, the city schools. And so as we're looking at the need for full service schools in some areas and we're looking at the need to have after school programming, I think it's the job of the board to make sure that that funding is actually there. Yeah.
0: So next week you will be inaugurated, but you're not you're not totally unfamiliar with the Board of Aldermen because I know that you received the endorsement from Board of Alderman President Lewis Reed. What's what sort of your relationship with him?
1: I've known Lewis on more of a I guess personal basis than anything over the years. Um, he's somebody that um, I've always felt like I could have a really informed conversation with even if we don't agree. And that's one of the things that I've always really appreciated with him, that we can talk about really difficult subjects like race and economic inequality in the school system, and we can challenge each other on our belief systems. And that's what I look for in people that I work with, and that's what I look for in in leaders. And so I'm um, I've really appreciated that type of relationship with him and was very honored uh, to have his support. Has
3: the mayor's office reached out to you either before or since the election, since the mayor, while technically not part of the legislative branch, has always had, and this goes back to his predecessors as well, has always had a lot of influence um, either up front or behind the scenes, in the Board of Aldermen. So have they talked to you? Yes.
1: Um, Mayor Slay called, and he congratulated me on my win and made sure that I had all of his personal contact information and uh, made sure that I knew that I could always reach out to him for anything that I needed or wanted to talk about. And um, so it's it's in my plans to sit down within the next couple of weeks and and talk face-to-face with the mayor. Was
3: there anything particular issue-wise that he brought up?
1: No, there wasn't.
2: Yeah. So one of the reasons your ward your ward was actually in the, the news yesterday. Um, so for our listeners who haven't been paying attention, there was a shooting death in Shaw, which is not part of your ward, which is actually part of the 8th Ward. An 18-year-old African-American was shot by an off-duty police officer. It comes two months after the Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson. It's definitely touched a nerve with a lot of people in St. Louis and elsewhere. And yesterday, um, the protests actually moved to South Grand Boulevard. Got to make sure it's Boulevard, not Avenue. Correct. And yeah. by yesterday, you mean Thursday. Thursday. And, um you know, it, I, I have to say I was not there. But seeing the accounts on Twitter and on TV, it seemed very tense. I know that there were some arrests. I know there was a broken window. And I know that people were apparently pepper sprayed or maced or yes. something like that. Yes. So – but again i I'm after seeing what happened in Ferguson, I could have been a whole lot worse from my perspective. but what's kind of your view of this entire situation that's kind of erupted this week, and how do you think older people are going to respond to to this?
1: I think we have to be uh leaders and out there helping to defuse situations if they get tense. um I think a lot of what we've from my understanding, a lot of the protesters that we saw out last night are not necessarily people from within St. Louis, and, um, which I think makes it even more important that those of us who are seen as leaders within St. Louis are out there and the ones leading the charge and mediating and diffusing any situations between protesters and police. Um, I spoke with the police department this morning and um, because there's a lot of fear and concern going on in my ward right now. Um, people saying, well, should we pack up and leave for the weekend? Is it safe to be here? And people should not have to th- have those thoughts go through their mind. And the police assured me that since Ferguson, 270 St. Louis police officers have been given uh, specialized civil disobedience training, um, helping to diffuse tense situations rather than escalating them. Um, police officers have also been pulled onto 12 hour shifts and they're taking officers from other special units and putting them on the street to make sure that we have the capacity to, to deal with any tense sh- situations that, that do arise.
0: Do you think that if the city of St. Louis had some sort of civilian review board for the police, that that would have done anything to relieve some of the tensions that were exhibited on Wednesday and Thursday?
1: I think it could. Um, it's hard to speculate um, given where we've been the last couple of months, but I think going forward a civilian review board is going to be imperative for us to heal We have to we have to set up the systems where the people feel like they can trust the police and have it and and have that have it be so that police can um can also act effectively and they can't effectively do their jobs if the poli- if the public does not have that trust. And so for me a civilian review board is one way to build that trust back and we have to. And and so that's one of the the things that I'm very um, interested in working on and being a part of as we move forward.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I I was at one of the forums for the 15th Ward. And uh, it was put on by the League of Women Voters. And a lot of the questions came from the audience. And I have to say, I was pretty surprised. But there were so many questions that were about crime. And I did not expect that at all. Was that something that surprised you?
1: It wasn't, um, because going door-to-door and really connecting with residents in my ward one-on-one, you hear those same questions over and over and over again. We seem to have a very compassionate and social justice-oriented ward. That's one of the things that I love about it. And going door-to-door... Yes, people were concerned about crime in our ward, particularly property crime, Mm -hmm. Um, but they were equally as concerned with what was going on in Ferguson. And they wanted somebody who would have an understanding or some kind of relatability to what is going on there and I think that's one of the reasons I appealed to our constituency because I have that background working with more uh, difficult and sometimes underserved and voiceless populations and I hope that being on the board that is something that I can bring with me.
2: So one of the things I think the Ferguson Michael Brown shooting brought into focus at least for people who follow public policy is just how there's this barrier between elected officials and the police department. In Ferguson, the city manager, who is unelected and appointed by the city council, runs the police department. So if any elected official wants to make any changes to that, they have to go through the city manager. And there's I real-
0: don't think the city manager has done any sort of interview. None. So there's,
2: there's – to me, I understand why that was set up. You don't want a system where the mayor puts his, like, relatives on the police department. But it really seems to me to be a barrier to public accountability. In St. Louis, it's almost the opposite since local control happened. The Mm -hmm. mayor pretty much effectively has control over the police department, which then gives the electorate some accountability. But I think the reason why the Civilian Review Board is being brought up is there doesn't seem to be the legislative or, you know, non-legislative barrier. So do you think that the next few days will kind of be a test to see whether that system, which is still relatively new— is effective at not only crime prevention, but also dealing with a potentially explosive situation like that? And could it provide any potential changes that may require more legislative oversight?
1: I do. I think that um, this weekend being um, a weekend where we have a lot of eyes on us nationally, and you can see all over Twitter, people saying I'm on my way to St. Louis for um, Ferguson October, and Mm -hmm. um, we could end up uh, potentially with tens of thousands of people here willing to or wanting to protest. And I've seen that protests are scheduled for downtown. They're scheduled for Ferguson. Yes. It's possible that um, given the situation in in Shaw, that there could be some in Shaw or in the 15th Ward. And so I think this really is going to be a test for the police this weekend. And it'll be a test for us legislatively to see, OK, are are you know, some of the policies, changes that we have implemented since Ferguson, are, are they working and what else do we need to do to, you know, respect people's right to free speech and also keep our constituents safe at the same time?
0: So I, I, last question here, but what, what thoughts have you given to committee assignments? What committees would you like to be on and, and have you talked with anyone about the chance of that?
1: I've talked with Lewis briefly about that so far. Um, I would like to be on legislation. I would like to be on public safety. And I would like to be on HUD. Mm -hmm. And um, those are the, I think, the ones that, resonate the most with people in our ward. Um, ways and Means is another one that I would be interested in in being on um, going through the city budgeting process, especially with my, you know, eye toward um, education and education support funding. Um, but I think that Public safety, it seems to be the number one or number two concern of people in our ward, and there will be an expectation for me to be on that committee.
3: Well, the, the 15th Ward has had a long history of rather influential members of the Board of Aldermen, going back to Geraldine Osborne, who was the alderman for quite a long time and was extremely influential. So I think many people will be watching to see if you fit in the 15th Ward mold. No, yes. Jennifer from no, <laughs> Florida certainly did. No pressure or anything. Yeah, no <laughs> pressure. No, no pressure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to close this out here, you can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at at CSMcDaniel. Jason. Jay Rosenbaum. And Joe.
3: At J Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And Megan.
1: And you can follow me on Twitter at Megan, M-E-G-A-N dot E-L-L-Y-I-A.
0: Very good. Well, we'll be back next week. Until then, so long.